today we have a very special guest joining us. So he was the co-founder and CEO of Yext for over 15 years, and now he's building Rome. That's R-O-A-M. And Rome is an all-in-one cloud HQ designed to bring distributed companies together in one headquarters. Ladies and gentlemen, Howard Lerman. Good to see you, Andy. Oh, that was so slick. I loved that. I loved that. So, okay, hold on. Let, let me tell the viewers well, or the listeners what, what I'm looking at here because a lot of people will just be audio only. Okay, so I'm looking, essentially, I'm like in a stage area. There's a backstage and then there's an audience section on my screen. Is this a room where you would typically hold like an all hands or where you'd bring in guest speakers? Precisely. Very cool. Yeah. D describe to me, you know, I, I just kind of described like what Rome is to me, like, you know, the the all-in-one cloud HQ. Um, how do you describe Rome? Well, we use the term cloud headquarters. There's all this debate right now about the future of work. And I was running a public company, Andy Yex, during the pandemic. And like every other company, we moved to Zoom and Slack. Frankly, Yex had big investments in real estate around the world. We had offices in Berlin, New York, Beijing, everywhere. And when we went to Zoom and Slack, we just sort of lost the energy and the ad hoc feeling. And one day I was setting up a Zoom. I, you, you know, when you run a public company, you do these Zooms with hundreds of people. And I forgot to add somebody. And I realized that that moment that if you forget to add someone to a Zoom, that in a calendar invite that that person in a remote world doesn't exist. They're disconnected from the ether. They're like a non-person. They don't know the meeting happened. They're just totally flailing around. And I had this flash of insight, which was what if there were uh, a bird's eye view of all the people in a company? And you could see kind of almost like if you've ever read Harry Potter, the Marauder's Map mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, for, for a company. So, you know, imagine you can see where everyone is and who's meeting with who. And people can freely move around to uh, to meet with each other. And so that uh, inspired the Rome cloud headquarters that you see today. And the reason we call it a cloud headquarters, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I stole the term from Andreessen Horwitz. <laughs> when, how, how did he use it? When, when, um, when Andreessen opened an office, A16Z opened an office in Miami, they, they said, we're moving our headquarters to the cloud. And we thought a lot about whether to call and position. When you start a company, one of the most important things you do is choose your positioning, the category in which you compete. You know that this is a competitive intelligence pot. So, you know, there was one of the hardest things to do is, is to build a new category. At Yex, we build a new category. It's really hard. Uh, and, you know, at Rome, I would say that we're kind of inventing a new subcategory of productivity software. Um, in, in, in that you have teams and zoom and, you know, sort of the traditional slack, those traditional players. And we thought a lot about, should we call this a virtual HQ? And we ultimately decided to go with cloud HQ for a couple of reasons. One virtual sounds like, uh, you know, the 1980s called and you want your, uh, they want their, their name back. It just sounds like totally eighties to me. I don't know. Eighties, nineties, early internet days, uh, the next reason was because virtual implies not real. And for companies on Rome, this is their HQ. For you know, a VC firm like Andreessen, when they move their HQ to the cloud, what they're saying is, hey, we have people distributed everywhere. And we want an HQ to bring together people under one roof. There's no centralized, this is the HQ. The HQ is actually in the cloud. And that sort of 
picture of a centralized nervous system is distributed everywhere and we're all connected in a different way as opposed to sort of being uh, there, there manually. So uh, we say we're an all-in-one cloud headquarters uh, for distributed teams. And the word distributed, we thought a lot about too. There's a lot of debate right now about whether the future of work is remote, whether it's hybrid, whether it's in the office, three days a week, Amazon just had their, you know, call back to the office. And now 14,000 Amazon workers are coming back and saying, uh, you know, we might want to, you know, they're finally on strike, I guess, whatever. And the fact is that we think at Rome, that's entirely the wrong question. We think that every company that becomes successful ultimately becomes distributed and they have people everywhere. Like I said, Yex had people all over the place and whether or not they're in the office is kind of not the right question. The challenge that companies need to solve is how can I get my distributed workforce working together under one headquarters as if we were all in one place in person. And so that's why we made Rome. I love that. And we'll dive into more of a, you know, the competitive differentiation between, you know, Rome and Zoom and Slack and all that kind of stuff here in a minute. But the one thing I wanted to start with is, you know, I imagine it'd be hard to leave a company that you you started, number one, and that you'd been with for nearly 16 years. And I also imagine that you've had a bunch of other startup ideas over the years, you know, just as like a serial entrepreneur. And so tell me about the moment when you realized that Rome was the right opportunity and that this was the right time for Rome? Well, you know, there's two questions packed into there. The first is how do you leave Yex and how do you mentally get prepared for essentially a child that you've been rearing for 15 and a half years, a teenager? And then the second question is what's the timing for Rome and how did that kind of work out? Here's what I learned at Yex. You know, when you're a founder of a company, when you start, you're the only person or there might be two other people with you if you have co-founders. The job that you do as a three-person startup is completely different than the job that you do as a 20-person startup. And then, you know, you get to 50 people if you're lucky and the job changes again. And then, you know, the job really changes until you get to about, I'm sorry, the job really changes at about 150 people. That's when you don't know all the people working at your company. And that's when it turns kind of interesting and you really have to evolve as a, as a founder, as a leader. And, you know, Yex, when I left, had around 13, 14, 1500 people, something in that kind of range. And, you know, the skill set that it takes to operate a 1500 person global company at scale and, you know, talk to investors or a public company is a totally different skill set then the skill set necessary to go from that first zero to 150, finding product market fit, finding you know your early customers, uh, building the early acquisition channels. You know, frankly, when you're in a smaller company, in a startup, you do all you try to do as many jobs as possible, and at some point it flips into trying to delegate as many jobs as possible. So, uh, what I learned was about myself is. You know, while while it was sort of fun to run a big company and it came with its own set of challenges, you know, what I'm really good at, I think, and we'll see how it works out at Rome, is going from zero to zero to one, to use a, a Peter Thiel metaphor there. And I just frankly enjoy it. My energy is higher. And so leaving Yex was in no way about starting Rome. Leaving Yext was in every way about me recognizing that at some point it was me holding the company back, that the company, you know, it's, it's a selfish thing to stay CEO when you're no longer the best person for the job. 
And I replaced a number of people over the years at Yext. It was always a tough conversation. And at some point it became time obvious to me that I needed to replace myself. And so, you know, I told the board and worked with the board over, over some time about, about that. And, um, and, you know, you find a next great CEO that's capable of taking the baton or the torch and letting the company grow in the way that it ought to go. Cause frankly, at some point I realized it was me holding the company back. Mm. Lots of self-awareness going on, like within that decision-making for sure. Just understanding, okay, like this is where the company's at. This is what I'm really good at doing. And also here's what I want to do moving forward. The other thing that struck me as I was looking into Rome is uh, just the founding team right now. You have a, you have a stacked list of people that are that are working yeah. on Rome right now. Yeah. Walk me through um, just the recruiting conversations that you have with these folks. I know that you have history. It sounds like with a lot of these people, a lot of these people it seems like have history with Yext. Um, but I still imagine that you would have to have a really compelling vision to essentially start from zero again with somebody. And so walk me through those conversations. Well, you know, this is maybe some of the benefit of being a repeat founder. So having already gone from zero to billions, you know, you go along that journey with other people. And when you do that with other people, it's like you won the war together. I mean, there is no better feeling of camaraderie than success and overcoming and achieving an obstacle that seems impossible. But if you actually work hard you and, and make the correct decisions, you can get there. And that is the ultimate way to, you know, create a team culture, a winning culture. Now, you know, one of the benefits of doing this, I guess, 15 years after I did it the first time is I have a, a speed dial Rolodex of the top 50 people that I'd like to hire when, you know, I'm building my next company. And so it, it's actually when we were starting Yex, I spent a lot of time recruiting. I haven't had to do that here just because I already know and have a previous relationship with the first 50 people we're going to hire at Rome. And so it's just a phone call. And, you know, if you've been successful with people before and have that camaraderie, it's uh, everyone always, every, every very experienced person I've talked to in my career, Andy, like in their sixties, let's say they all, if they've gone through the sort of hyper growth stage at a company, whether it was like Salesforce or Yext or, you know, an Oracle like a long time ago or a Microsoft, they all want to relive that kind of hyper growth phase. That is the ultimate uh, kind of high for a lot of people. And so the promise, the allure of that is, you know, finding product market fit and scaling the crap out of it is, is often a lot more exciting for people than either on one side, you know, trying to find product market fit if you're in a startup and it's not going so well, or on the other side, you know, when the company's huge and you're sort of, you know, like make a good paycheck, but don't have any, uh, don't have any like real impact on what people are doing in that case, you know, we, it's a, it's an easy phone call for me to make and say, Hey, let's give this another go and see if we can do it all over again. There's mm -hmm. a beach, there's a beach boys song called do it again. Yeah. I think that I'll is listen bad. to that. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. No, that, that makes total sense. I, I totally, I can relate to that. You know, I'm, you know, I went through the kind of hyper growth period at zoom info and now I'm kind of experiencing the same thing over at ClickUp, And so I can, I, there's definitely like an adrenaline rush that comes along with like yeah. all the activities and definitely a sense of camaraderie with all yeah. your coworkers that are going through the same thing. Yeah.
Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about, I want to like dive specifically into Rome. And the first right. thing that I want to talk about um, really is the use case. Because you talk about like Cloud HQ, which when mm -hmm. I think about HQ, I think very business specific. Mm -hmm. I think about like different companies we are talking about distributed across the world. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, when I think of other kind of video conferencing, quote unquote, software, I know that, you know, you can use a lot of these tools for just like talking with your family, you might be able to do like a virtual kind of study hall, like in your, in your college or things like that. What is, is, is Rome strictly for business? Do you see, yeah, or do you think that is. there's going to be like a more casual route at some point? You know, a lot of, it's interesting. If you look at Slack or discord or zoom, they actually started off in the more casual route and have worked their way towards paid programs and, you know, upselling to larger companies. And um, I think frankly, that in the case of Slack, they had, you know, they were able to build big communities, same with Discord, clearly it's a gaming, you know, sort of has origins in gaming. Zoom started, like you said, it's a great way to call Aunt Sally and keep in touch with her. It was the first video conferencing technology that worked. At Rome, we're not going to do that. We are really squarely focused from the get-go on uh, the B2B customer segment. And that means, you know... It could mean a startup of 10 people. It could mean right now a company of up to about a thousand. We're not ready yet to serve Wall Street banks, big insurance companies, big brands, uh, Fortune 2000s, Fortune 500s. We will get there. Um, but you know, as a as a one and a half year old company, we're, we've found product market fit pretty clearly in this segment, and I do expect us to expand. But like most SaaS companies, we'll start in this sort of mid-enterprise segment and go up but we're totally focused on on b2b you know you don't see a lot of consumers using for example salesforce.com this episode of the Healthy Competition Podcast is brought to you by the Healthy Competition Community. Whoa, can you believe that? The Healthy Competition Community is where product marketers, competitive intel practitioners, and other go-to-market pros share best practices and act as a sounding board for questions that Google can't answer. Over a thousand messages are exchanged every month, despite there being less than a hundred members in the community. Now, I'm a firm believer in prioritizing high-quality topics of conversation and building authentic connections over member count numbers. So this this piece is super important to me. But with that being said, if you listen to this podcast, then you'll probably love being in the community. So join today at healthycompetition.co. That's healthycompetition.co. Now back to the episode. One thing that struck me about you as I've learned about, you know, how you're pitching Rome and how I like read about Rome online mm -hmm. is you're not afraid to talk about kind of the status quo, which in this case, the status quo in many cases, it's, it's Zoom or Slack. Yeah. And I think that there's like two kinds of founders out there. There's the ones that lean into that and acknowledge like yeah. what the status quo is. And then there's also the ones that kind of play pretend and try to pretend like, like there's no other competitor out there. So how, when you're talking with people in your closed beta or you're inviting other people into Rome, how, yeah. how often are you referring back to the fact that this is kind of a replacement or like the next evolution of these kind of status quo tools? You know, it's interesting. We don't, right now, we haven't really had to pitch Rome very hard. In fact, some guy just tweeted earlier, I often wonder what it would be like to sell Rome. And then I was like, well, what do you think it'd be like? And he's like, uh, he's, you know, sort of a, a great enterprise salesperson. He's like, I think it'd be like selling cars to people that have carriages. It, it's like the thing, we are not really selling it, if that makes any sense. Yes, mm -hmm. we are putting words out there uh, you know, I say words on social media, and that is basically it. If you go to our website, there's nothing there. 
There's no product screenshots. There's no detail. I mean, you're in competitive intelligence. You want product matrices and feature comparisons and all that kind of stuff that we made at Yex and every SaaS company makes. And you will never, ever see that come out of Rome ever over my dead body. We just have something that is so much better than everything else. It's in a category by itself. And if you see it and you love it, it's all good. Like you're going to try it out with your company. And if you want to use it, you will. But, you know, we're just not going to chase these other, we don't think about competitors at all. And I realize you're the competitive intelligence pod. Amazon, I think is a great example. Bezos always said, we always think about, we obsess over customers, not competitors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ClickUp, and that's a totally different business model. Our business model is to build a visionary product that the world didn't ever have anything like it. And it will look completely different than Slack and Zoom and everything else out there. So frankly, you know, uh, we don't we don't do any competitive analysis or anything like that. We don't really, you know, we'll answer questions like, you know, do you have touch up? And we don't have touch up in our face filters yet. We will. Mm -hmm. One of our, you know, one of our scientists is, is almost done with it. Zoom has touch up. Okay, you can beautify your skin. We know we need to have that. But I think in, in startups, Andy, there's two classes of features. There's the features that, you know, a customer asks for and you should serve them. And those are little, they're generally like, you know, when the customer's workflow or something, they've gotten stuck. Those are, those are like a sort of class two type feature. There's, there's another kind of feature which matters a lot more. And that's a class one type feature. And a customer generally can't come up with that. And, you know, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, I mean, there's a great podcast that I listened to called how to win by a guy named uh, Pep Laya. And uh, he talks about how most customers, they just, they, they want the same things. They want a little bit faster. They might want like a little, but, but in a lot of cases, they don't really know the potential of like, what's really going to change their workflow, which I feel like is kind of what you're getting at with these like class one features. Yeah, you're exactly right. I think another way to say the same thing might be that you listen to your customers' problems, but not necessarily their solutions. Mm -hmm. Yep, that makes total it's sense. It's your job as the product founder-led company to, you know, come up with a visionary solution if if applicable. And the other thing that I noticed too is, uh, you know, you have a really interesting pricing model as well. So, you know, when I look at your pricing page, you know, you're doing a bunch of things differently from the traditional SaaS business, right? Mm -hmm. So a couple of things that jumped out to me. So you're, you're only going to charge customers by active users. You're charging at the end of the month, not at the beginning. You're uh, not doing discounts. So everyone pays the same price. You're doing monthly billing. Uh, you're only, well, what does it say? One all in one style of package instead of like right. tiers. So, uh, you know, it's clear that you have a very specific, you know, opinion on how you want to do this. So walk me through why you felt like that was so important. Right. You know, once again, I have the benefit of having lived this movie and seen all the wars about pricing and the debates, you know, there's so many brilliant people that literally are thinking about pricing strategy. I mean, it's like the entire generation of potential nuclear scientists has been lost into how to price upsells. I mean, it's just, it's insane. And frankly, I get it. It's where money lives and pricing and optimization is really important. And we've just decided we're just not going to do it at all. My inspiration for the Rome pricing model, believe it or not, comes from Bloomberg. It's positioned in a different segment of the market. So Bloomberg, as you know, Andy, is 
2000 bucks a month. It's very expensive targeting premium users. And we're, you know, super low end, you know, low, low cost kind of provider with an all-in-one strategy. And, you know, Bloomberg once said that they were going to grow just by adding seats, not by upsells. And I just thought that that was a really, now he's already charging the maximum amount you possibly can. You're targeting finance professionals. So it's a really, it's a really good way to do that. And we're probably going to ultimately leave money on the table, but I think in the long run, we might benefit from just having a super simple thing. We invest nothing in pricing strategy. There's no arguing about upsells. Customers get everything for one low monthly price. We have an all-in-one strategy. We're going to be, you know, putting in all kinds of cool new features. We think you can knock out today two to three apps. Soon you're going to be able to knock out five pretty expensive apps. We have an interactive whiteboard that's going to launch next week, next Monday. We have, you can already, you know, use Rome instead of Slack or less Slack. You can already use uh, Rome instead of Zoom altogether. So, you know, we also want to get pair programming and other stuff. So that's the all-in-one part of it. And then everyone paying the same price. One interesting thing about that is there's just no negotiation. Like, you know, we used to spend all kinds of time with vendor procurement and like that, there's an art to all that. And that's a great way to maximize. And, you know, I get that companies do that, but we're just going to, you know, our prices are up there and like people can pay for it and there's no negotiation. Atlassian did that really well, famously. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you're going to see us do the same thing. I love that. You, you're just saying, you're saying yes to very specific things and you're saying no to very specific things. Yeah. Uh, like, so pricing is one of those things. The other thing is, you know, the kind of like this all in one approach. Yeah. I, I always see this debate online of the kinds of solutions that you should purchase. Should they be like these all in one types of tools or should they be more specialist kind of tools? And I think right now all in one is having a, definitely a moment because of, um, you know, because of the market and how it's just more feasible to get one tool that can do and replace multiple other contracts. Is that something that you're going to continue to branch out even beyond what you've already done with kind of like the video, the chat? Are there other are there other kind of tools that you're thinking about? You know, if you look at a lot of tools out there, it's kind of unsustainable to have a little thing that's pretty much should be a feature, like a screen grab, for example and have an entire billion dollar go to market against what should be a feature you know why why the, the thing is customers pay for sales they pay for sales people they pay for marketing expenses and so we're going to invest zero in sales and marketing and pass those savings on to our customers and we're going to keep bundling more and more and more features into rome so that they don't have to buy a bunch of things and by the time you add up what they otherwise might pay for it it's going to just end up you know a tenth of the cost plus we don't have any salespeople trying to pressure upsell you so that's our model you know and we've i think we've earned the right at this point you know to kind of try something a little different the other thing i'll say is we're doing usage-based pricing right so a lot of other companies that will try that they do annual prepay contracts we are you only pay if you use if your users you pay for active users in the month which is what, which is for the Rome is logging they, they in. Log, they log into Rome. That's right. Okay. So you can add your whole company to Rome. Okay. And if people don't use the product in that month, you don't pay. Now you, cause you said that you're not trying to invest in sales or marketing. Well, just one other technical point about yeah. that was really interesting. Companies headcounts change all the time. Mm -hmm. If you've ever been in a thousand person company, it's wavering this license, this. So, you know, when you're going between 980 and, you know, 
two, 1,020 different people and the, the people are changing. Your IT team spends an inordinate amount of time trying to match up the user licenses. It's craziness. And so what ends up happening is the, the bully salespeople will come and they sell you more licenses than you need. Mm -hmm. And there, that's, uh, I guess is there's 10 to 20% breakage in all of SaaS. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally see that. But the, the thing that I'm thinking about now is, okay, so the, the real value of Rome comes from a bunch of people within your company or the majority of your company using mm -hmm. it. So mm -hmm. how are you, how are you going to approach, you know, it sounds like you have the, the initial piece uh, you explained, you know, you're having people come to you. They're really excited to use Rome. They get it. What about the people uh, that they're like coworkers or colleagues within those companies? How are you going to work to like convince them that like, ah, oh, it's not this thing. It's this other thing. Are you going to trust the champion within the account or do you have somebody on the Rome side that's helping with that? You know, generally speaking, we like to, to be working with the founder. I mean, the purchase of an HQ is generally a, you know, it's a, it's a CEO level decision. Like in the real world, like there's no HQ that's signed unless the CEO is bought into it. And so we like to be working with them and, you know, it is a networked product. And so when there are people that are in the network that are quite important, if they're in there and that's what they're using as their default means of communication, it tends to pull other people in. That makes sense, especially coming from like a, a CEO. Right. Yeah, I can, I can totally get that. The other thing I, so I have to, I have to ask this and, be, sure. and I only, I want to ask this just because, uh, because it's how I got you onto an interview. So uh, <laughs> for people that aren't listening, for people that are listening right now, pretty much the history of, of this conversation is I really wanted to, you know, I saw all the press, I think it was like a TechCrunch article mm -hmm. um, talking about Rome. And uh, I was like, oh, this is really cool. I want to get Howard on for a podcast. And I eventually made a TikTok and it became my, like my most viewed, most engaged with TikTok. Um, and I sent it to you and I was like, Hey, like, let's, let's, let's answer some of these folks' questions. Now, um, you know, there's a ton of debate online about like just the value of B2B TikTok. Did it actually give like any kind of like material impact to interest or traffic or like the wait list on Rome's side? Oh yeah. We saw, you know, it was interesting. There were, there was a mixed set of comments. And yes, you know, there was. People, people, people that have never seen it or, or, or know nothing about it, but they you uh -huh. know, quickly react. I never. Which is probably my fault, by the way, for, no, for doing I, a one minute TikTok. I, frankly, I think that's probably why it went viral. If there was no controversy, it's just not real. So I think if you, you know, it's mixed because I don't, what were the numbers in the, the post? Tell me. Uh, tell, it, was you know. like, it was like half a million views. There was over a thousand comments and that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's that's what causes the debate. And you know, if the first comment is about a surveillance issue, you see people jumping in, nah, I don't want this, whatever. But then there's a lot of people that are like, wait a minute, this is kind of awesome. And so yeah. controversy is good. And frankly, you know, I didn't really think that there were many companies on TikTok, uh, particularly around the world, not even in the United States. And I now am convinced that TikTok could be a B2B channel. We had, I would say, 500 companies sign up. No shit, really? Not exactly, no. Okay, wow. TikTok, but, you know, those those two days. So, you know, for every person that was kind of gnatting it or whatever, I don't want to... I don't want to be present in the office, which I think is a ludicrous concept when you're, you know, when you're working. Right. Um, but for every, you know, comment about that, that was negative on the post or whatever, there was someone that signed, someone saw it and signed up and like, this is pretty cool. That's so, that's so, such an we interesting saw point. Five, we saw 500 companies sign up because of the post. 
Nice. Wow. That's awesome. Okay. Well, I'm gonna thank, have you. To... thank you. Yeah, yeah, no problem. No, I'm glad that we ended up having this conversation about that. Cause I, you know, that's one of those things too, where I don't really like fully understand the impact. I'm not usually like selling anything on TikTok. Um, and so I don't get to see like that back end kind of impact of, of things yeah. like that. So that's super interesting. Um, okay. Howard, that's really all I had uh, for you, but you know, I like I've had a blast learning about you, learning about Rome, getting kind of like this tour of the platform. Uh, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you or about Rome? You can always find me on Twitter. I'm at Howard. And then on Rome, you can visit our website, which is ro.am. And on Twitter, we are at Rome. Perfect. Howard, thank you so much. I think that this is a, an incredible product and I'm really looking forward to following along here in the coming years. Thank you for having me, Andy. Hey, you made it to the end of the episode. I have one small favor for you now. If you could please rate this podcast five stars wherever you're listening to it, that'd be super helpful for me. For Spotify, you can only leave a review on the mobile app and you can do that on the top of the Healthy Competition podcast profile. And for Apple Podcasts, you have to scroll to the bottom of the show's page and click write a review. Each podcast episode takes about five hours of my time from beginning to end while reviewing it should only take about five seconds of your time. Plus, you'd be making my day. So thank you so much in advance and see you in the next episode.